is Donald Trump tired? Donald Trump kicks off the worldwide tour. Kind of like, you know, remember when uh, President Obama did the apology tour? Well, it's like Donald Trump's doing the MAGA worldwide tour. But reports are saying he's a little tired. So I'm going to read into that. Another big story or a big focus is coming out as of late. I don't know if you're puzzling the pieces together as we speak, but there's a certain Democrat who they are speculating has his eyes set on 2020. All this and a little bit more coming up. Get ready and tighten your seatbelts because this is Fritzcast. Monday, May 22nd, in this, the year of our Lord, 2017. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another edition, yet another edition of the Fritzcast. How are you all doing this week? It is, it is not a lovely Monday morning, and everybody knows that listens to the show on a regular basis. If not, welcome to the program. We're, uh, I'm a... I say we're a, it's probably because of all my multiple personalities that come out, to say the least. Welcome to the program. If it's your first time, let it be known that Mondays and Tuesdays are my weekend currently. That's, such is the life of a correctional professional. It's not ideal, certainly not ideal in the least. But it is what it is. So Mondays and Tuesdays usually should be exciting weekend. You know, yay, I have nothing to do. Except I have stuff to do. Like clean up the house chores, stuff like that. And it is, it's cloudy, overcast, rainy, blech. It's nasty day. And it's summertime. I enjoy being able to go outside, ride my bike, which I'm still going to do today. I don't care if it's raining. You can ride your bike in the rain. It's possible. There's no laws against it. There's no law that says you can't do that. And it's not actually actively like pouring down rain or anything. So if it's not doing that, then what's stopping me from riding the bike, right? No use crying over overcast weather. People in Seattle live with it like every day of their lives. So it's just a little frustrating, though, because I like to whip out the uh, lawn chair, my zero-gravity lawn chair that you can literally lay back in and it feels like you're suspended in midair. It's comfy as hell. Take a good book out there or just uh, have the phone playing a podcast, lay back and, and, and enjoy the relaxation. That's clearly not going to happen today. So that means that I'm going to go ride my bike, hopefully for about three miles. I did two and a half miles on Thursday. Friday I worked a double, so there was no bike riding that day. But hopefully I can bump it up to three miles today. And then after that, take a shower, chill, and play video games. Because that's my day. Like right before I started the podcast, I actually paid a, it's a, not a speeding ticket, not a parking ticket. 
but a I apparently a couple of months, not a couple of months, last month. It actually has the date on here somewhere. Hold on. It was April 23rd at 3:19 p.m. I violated the law and ran a red light in the city of Wilmington. I have this nice little hear that paper. I have this nice little picture of my car coming up to, you know, the the re- the red light and then passing through the red light. And uh, it has, you know, a nice picture of my license plate and all that, all that jazz. And I watched the video. And watching the video, the, these tickets, these tickets and red light cameras are bull crap. I don't, anybody that likes a red light camera and champions them as saving lives and preventing accidents. I get the concept of it, but I watched the video of this and literally I come up to the line as the light is yellow, and it turns red right as my front tires meet the stop line. And I'm it's in Wilmington. Now, the, the only bad side is I don't have a car right on my ass to be able to say, you know, I, I had to keep going because there was a car behind me. I, I didn't. I didn't have to keep going. I went. It ticked my wife off, rightfully so. I probably shouldn't be goosing yellow lights in the city of Wilmington where I know there's red light cameras. But I went through it. I went through it, and guess what? Nobody died. Nothing bad happened. It wasn't a stale red light. It's not like I just decided to blow a red light. It was literally I was going 31 miles per hour, and I think the speed limit there is 25 to 30 miles an hour, maybe 35 miles an hour. The red light time literally is 0.3 seconds. 0.3 seconds. And that's what gets you... 0.3 seconds is what gets you a $110 freaking ticket at a red light. I guess I shouldn't bitch so much or whine so much. But I just... It's so stupid. It's so stupid, and you know what's funny is this comes on the this comes on the brain. Yesterday, my wife and I were going to Home Depot. Okay, so it's a Sunday. We're waiting at a left turn signal or a left turn lane. We have a red light. We're waiting there. I'm looking across the way to my left, where there is a light. You know, and the traffic can, can either merge on to the road, just adjacent from me going down, or they can cross the intersection, go straight, or they can turn left onto the road that I'm currently on. And there's this guy stopped at the light, and there's a cop right behind him. And the cop all of a sudden flashes his lights, and I realized why he flashed his lights. He flashed his lights because this, for lack of better term, dummy, was on his cell phone during the red light. Probably something that, like, millions of people do every day. Uh, you get on your cell phone at a red light because you're either bored or you got a text message and you're like, I'm at a red light. I'm not actually moving or operating the vehicle. I'll take two seconds to look at my phone. Probably not the best idea. Uh, probably not the best idea when a cop's behind you because the light turned green and the guy did not move whatsoever. So the cop flicks on his lights, steps out, 
and you could see I saw the guy. Watching it from the front was epic. Because the guy, literally, you see him with the cell phone, and he looks behind, he looks into his rearview mirrors, and hears the siren, and sees the lights, and literally throws his phone down into his lap, flailing his arms in the air, and you know he was just thinking, God, God, don't, 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 don't. Yeah, it was funny as hell. I hope there's not some libertarians out there, I can't believe this guy's tampering, uh, you know, police and, and being bullies. Not being a bully, really. You're, you pay attention to where you're freaking driving. I mean, I sincerely doubt the guy got a ticket or a citation. Probably just a talking to from the cop, like, hey, pay attention to the light and move when it's green. He probably said it far more professionally than I would have, because I would have I would have gotten out of the car. Well, I would have laid on my horn first off, and that probably would have got the guy moving. But if I got out of my car to talk to somebody about it, right? It, it would have been a long rant about you need to pay attention to the road. Get your get 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 off of that phone, you stupid dummy. And I'd be a total hypocrite because I do the same damn thing, except I keep paying attention to the light, and as soon as it's green, I drop the phone. But where was I going with that? Oh, yes, that's right. Red light cameras are stupid. Yeah, so I ran a red light by .3 seconds. Is that really $110? Really? Is that really? Did I really violate the law? Did I really? I know I should just fess up to my mistakes, pay a little bit more attention, and come to a full stop when the light, you know, goes into yellow and then into red. Don't try to goose it. Sorry, honey. I cost us $110 that we could have used for, well, lit- literally anything else. So that's just that's just been some highlights of my day in this past week. But one major highlight, I would say, for you movie-going types out there, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Legit, legit. I uh, if if you let's qualify this. Have you seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy? Hilarious, great flick. Uh, in in terms of like the Marvel movies and the superhero things, there's so many movies around, so many superheroes and so many storylines going on that sometimes it's hard to keep up. Uh. The last Marvel movie I had seen before Guardians of the Galaxy was actually Doctor Strange, and I loved Doctor Strange. Absolutely loved it. I love the ones that are on the fringe that are not as popular, that are not just straight-up Avengers. Uh, because, I mean, the Avengers are great. It's cool, right? The first Avengers movie was pretty good. Uh, then Age of Ultron came out. Age of Al- Ultron was one seemed really long to me. And two, the other thing that I really I hate about Marvel movies, Marvel comic series in general, is lackluster or weak villains. Take into consideration Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight series. Okay, all the Batman. Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. One of the great things about the Batman flick was that it took everything into the realm of reality. Maybe with the exception of Bane and The Dark Knight Rises. Maybe with exception to Bane. 
you didn't have to do a lot of suspension of disbelief, if you know what that term means. You didn't have to think outside the box that you were in some kind of fantasy world watching Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. Both of those films, it, it was completely like, yes, you could absolutely have somebody who used some kind of psychotic or hallucinogenic drug to drug people and run crime. Absolutely. And then in The Dark Knight, you could absolutely have a psychotic guy that dresses up like a clown and just causes havoc. They weren't, you didn't have to think too outside of the box for it. Plus, they have iconic villains. Iconic villains. Scarecrow is a known villain from the Batman universe. The Joker is probably the quintessential villain like of all time. In terms of comics, at least, anyway. Bane was completely redesigned for that film, but I, I loved the way they did it. Marvel, it's hard to, to think of uh, iconic, real super villains that stand out. And, and there's just... The DC world was, it was able to pull off a darker tone. More full-blown adult than, hey, bring your kids to this film. Uh, the Marvel movies, kind of, in a sense, have that underlying needs-to-be-kid-friendly type of feel to it, which people want. They want a family flick. It's a superhero flick. There's still lots of action, lots of damage, destruction, all that. Just, it's okay for kids because it's a superhero flick. That's not to knock nar Marvel. Marvel? Not to knock Marvel entirely. But I got a little tired with some of the movies that came out. And I was like, ah, I wonder if the superhero thing's going to start dying off. And then I see things like Guardians of the Galaxy, which completely is just, here's a ridiculous movie about superheroes. It's funny. It's edgy. And it's a tad ridiculous. But it works. Absolutely worked in Volume 1. And Volume 2, I would argue, no different, and even has some interesting tones and aspects and themes to it. Uh, I don't want to get into spoilers, but I have to praise performances like Kurt Russell being in it, and his character, once it unravels as you watch, will kind of blow your mind, and it's, it's a very... It's it's weird to say that this ridiculous film would have a kind of serious element that really makes you think and wonder and, and takes your mind elsewhere on an existential plane. It's really weird, but if I had to, you know, if I had to recommend, go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It was great. And our Cinemark Theater totally upgraded to, the, to that luxury seating. That that the big leather reclining, power recliner chairs, oh my god. Let me tell you, I love watching movies here at home. I have a 4K television. It's only 55 inches. It's not that massive, but it, it's still pretty big in my eyes, at least anyway, because I don't have a 70-inch or an 80-inch TV. And I love reclining back and watching, you know, a high-def movie. Uh, which I do 
This is not a joke. I watch all of my movies legally. I don't have a jailbroken fire stick or anything like that. I can't watch bootleg anything for the life of me because the quality sucks. It's horrendous. I actually love popping in a Blu-ray or streaming something in 4K uh, because it's amazing to look at. It, it whew, blows me away every time. Just uh, just bought Rogue One on Blu-ray and blown away even more so than I was in the theater watching it at home. So I can't do all that jailbreaking crap. And going to the movies now, though, because going to the movies was something that was up in the air. Like, do I really want to go to... Do we really want to go, babe, to the movies and see this flick, you know, or not? Now with these power reclining chairs, oh my god, I love going to the movies now. Hop in a chair, get comfy as crap, throw it in the reclined position, and it's like you're laying back and watch, just enjoying a flick. Like you were at home, except your your screen is now a billion times bigger. And somehow, still, even though you have a 4K TV, still masterful quality. It's insane. If you get a chance to check out a Cinemark theater with luxury seating. I mean, seriously. it's all When you buy the tickets online, it's reserved seating. You have to pick your seats in the theater, and those are your seats. Some people think that's kind of dull. I was actually, I was really heated last week getting tickets for Guardians of the Galaxy, having to pick my seats like that. But then when we got there, I was like, oh my, I was like, dude, I was like, if we got online early enough to order them and we pick the seats right dead in the middle in that row that we want, who cares? It's actually great if you have like a big group of people because now your seats are guaranteed. The only thing is that if an annoying person is sitting next to you, you, you know, yeah, they're annoying. But it's like they patrol their theaters now, too. Like, they don't stand for people being obnoxious anymore because they know you're spending a hot penny, a hot dollar to go see these movies now. Also, I just want to do a blog update real quick for you, too. Uh, if you don't follow the blog, it is fritzcast.wordpress.com. Two blog posts went up in the past week. One was called Troller Coaster. That's what I referred to Donald Trump as. He's just a giant troller of people. And that, that article really focuses on the statements he made against Jim's, Jim Comey, James Comey, the former FBI director, whatever. That, what he said about Hillary Clinton, the, uh, the threats that he supposedly made, That that sort of thing. The other article I wrote uh, is in regards to news coming out of New Orleans over the past couple of days. Or rather, the past couple of weeks, I should say. Uh, New Orleans has been removing several, four, I think, in total, uh, monuments that are Confederate Civil War monuments. Now, let me qualify that. When you hear... Confederate Civil War monuments. You you might think of it, uh, of a, a historical battle battle site, battlefield. You know, you might be thinking something like that. I want to qualify this as uh, as carefully as possible. 
the monuments that they've taken down, one of them was of President Jefferson Davis, one of them was of Robert E. Lee, one of them was the Battle of Liberty Place, and one of them was, I think, P.T. Beauregard. Uh, now, the Liberty Place monument that was put up, uh, you have to do some research on the Battle of Liberty Place. It was essentially an election gone wrong for their governorship. A bunch of people in the town revolted. There was a huge standoff. It was over, you guessed it, race relations and that type of a thing uh, sometime after the Civil War. And the plaques on it, and mind you, this monument commissioned by the local government, you know, put up by the local government and in, in the public squares. The monument itself had placards that, that talked about hailing white supremacy and things like that. So, in all reality, very, I mean, very cut and dry to me, that's racist. Talking about white supremacy and you're going to have the government you're going to have a government-commissioned monument in the town square that people have to walk by. I had no qualms about that one being removed. Uh, because several times the plaque has been changed on it. Uh, they kept the original one about white supremacy and then put a plaque on the side that said the people of New Orleans in this day and age don't necessarily agree with these sentiments. And then again switched the plaques over to uh, commemorating losses on both sides of the fight. And at the end of the day, it was just, it was really a baffling who wants this monument here and why. Uh, there's really no need for it, and and I have no qualms about that one being removed. I can see people being kind of up in the air with a statue of, like, Robert E. Lee, who, for all intents and purposes, a very well-respected, you know, Southern general, uh, one of one of the biggest military masterminds uh, in history in all in all reality I can see people being against that one uh, at the end of the day though where are most of these monuments going the Jefferson Davis PT Beauregard and General Lee ones are being you know they were removed as safely as possibly placed aside to be picked up by museums and that I nobody I can see arguing them going into a museum. There are there's things like the Holocaust Museum, which has Nazi paraphernalia in it, things like that. So I wrote this big blog post, and I encourage you to go read it. Just of my thoughts of of the Civil War, and and these monuments in general, uh, because the Civil War is so it's so broadly stroked by people as simply one hundred percent over slavery and nothing else. No doubt, and I mentioned this in, in the blog post, no doubt was it an underlying cause and a focal point. But you need to go do some extended research, dive deep into personal journals of, of, Southern, of Southerners, read, read the book series, uh, The Killer Angels, Gods and Generals, The Last Full Measure, because those are historic novels that had a lot of research compiled into them to develop the characters and the story as it's written. And you will find a lot of these, you know, a lot of the Southern soldiers were, in in effect, poor white people who, you know, didn't have anything else they could do at the time, so they went into the war. 
or you have people like Robert E. Lee who was was offered the head of the Union Army from President Lincoln. And I got this from Gods and Generals, but it historically checks out. He was handed the reins of the Union Army, and he wanted advancement in his military career. This was a time period that was after the Mexican War, and a lot of these guys were sitting around in the Army with their jobs and were bored with it. They wanted some kind of advancement. They wanted some kind of action. And people like Robert E. Lee, well, he was, I mean, here you are. You're being offered the reins of the Army of the United States of America. And what does Robert E. Lee say? Look this up. It's documented. He says, you want me to take the reins of an army and march them into my home of Virginia? My house sits just across the river over there. You want me to march an army into my home. So Lee turns down those reins. Publicly, many times it stated that he thought secession would be a horrible thing and thought it was rebellion. Yet, when Virginia steps forward and says, hey, we're seceding, they offer him, well, it's a long, complicated road, but he eventually ends up leading the Army of the Confederacy. So, Civil War, is it really cut and dry and black and white? No, it's complicated, and so are Civil War monuments and memorials. So, do I want to go into uh, the Don and his world tour? No, you know what? Let's save Donald Trump and the world tour because it involves some heavy speak of Saudi Arabia. Let's first, I want to talk about this. I can't remember if I played it last week or the week before, but I played that clip of Hillary Clinton talking about what caused her to lose the election. And Hillary Clinton, of course, uh, maybe I'm just a little biased, I don't know, but I I feel like Hillary Clinton and a a good to fair amount of Democrats like to play the blame game uh, with things. Hillary Clinton said it was a combination of uh, James Comey, James Comey's letter a couple weeks prior to the election, Russian WikiLeaks, which she stresses Russian, and people losing confidence in her because of those two things. Now, I would argue that it might be because of her last name's Clinton, that she was a terrible candidate. Not a terrible, look, I'm not, I didn't even say terrible person, just terrible candidate. And there's somebody who agrees with me on that. And we're going to get to that in a minute. It's just funny. You know what's really funny, too, is how quickly the world has, has turned from... Russia being meh to now Russia being the worst of the worst of the worst. It's uh, That's really funny because Mitt Romney, when he was running in 2012, said this about Russia. And mind you, this audio is from a Wolf Blitzer clip, CNN, circa 2012. Well, when you say even more frightening, what's he planning on doing in your opinion? 
Well, my guess is it has to do either with, uh, with nuclear arms discussions or it has to do with missile defense sites. Uh, what he did both on nuclear weaponry already and the, and the New START treaty, uh, as well as his decision to withdraw uh, missile defense sites from, from Poland and then reduce our missile defense sites in Alaska uh, from the original plan. I mean, th these are very uh, unfortunate developments. And if he's planning on doing more and suggest to Russia that, that he has things he's willing to do with them, he's not willing to tell the American people. This is to Russia. This is, without question, our number one geopolitical foe. They, they fight every uh, cause for the world's worst actors. The, the idea that he has some more flexibility in mind for Russia is very, very troubling indeed. Well, you think Russia's a bigger foe right now than, let's say, Iran or China or North Korea? Is that, or, or, is that what you're suggesting, Governor? Well, I'm saying in terms of a geopolitical opponent, the nation that lines up with the world's worst actors. Of course, the greatest threat that the world faces is a nuclear Iran, uh, and nuclear North Korea is already troubling enough. But when these, uh, these terrible actors pursue uh, their course uh, uh, in the world, and we go to the United Nations looking for ways to stop them, when, when Assad, for instance, is murdering his own people, uh, we, go, we go to the United Nations, and who is it that always stands up for the world's worst actors? It is always Russia. Uh, typically with China alongside. And, uh, and so in terms of a geopolitical foe, a, a nation that's on the Security Council, that has the heft of the Security Council, and is, of course, a, a massive nuclear power, uh, uh, Russia is the, the geopolitical foe. And, uh, and, and, and th the idea that our president is, is planning on doing something with them that he's not willing to tell the American people before the election is something I find uh, uh, very, very alarming. Now, Mitt Romney said that and caught a lot of flack. So much that this happened in one of their final debates, Romney and Obama. Threat, because a few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not Al-Qaeda, you said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know, the Cold War's been over for 20 years. But Governor, you know, when it comes to our foreign policy, you seem to want to import the foreign policies of the 1980s, just like the social policies of the 1950s and the economic policies of the 1920s. You say that you're not interested in duplicating what happened in Iraq, but just a few weeks ago you said you think we should have more troops in Iraq right now. And the, the, the challenge we have, I know you haven't been in a position to, to actually execute foreign policy, but every time you've offered an opinion, You've been wrong. You said we should have gone into Iraq, despite the fact that there were no weapons of mass destruction. You said that we should still have troops in Iraq to this day. You indicated that uh, we shouldn't be passing uh, nuclear uh, treaties with Russia, despite the fact that 71 senators, Democrats and Republicans, voted for it. You've said that, first, we should not have a timeline in Afghanistan, then you said we should. Now you say maybe, or it depends, uh, which means not only were you wrong, but you were also confusing and sending mixed messages both to our troops and our allies. So what, what we need to do with respect to the Middle East is strong, steady leadership, not wrong and reckless leadership that is all over the map. And unfortunately, that's the kind of opinions that you've offered throughout this campaign. And it is not a recipe for American strength or keeping America safe over the I'm long I'm going to add a couple of sec minutes here to give you a chance to respond. Well, of course, uh, I 
don't uh, concur with what the president said about my own record and the things that I've said. Uh, they don't happen to be accurate. But, uh, but I can say this, that we're talking about the Middle East and how to help the Middle East reject the kind of terrorism we're seeing and the rising tide of tumult and, and confusion. And, and attacking me is not an agenda. Attacking me is not talking about how we're going to deal with the challenges that exist in the Middle East and take advantage of the opportunity there and stem the tide of this violence. But I'll respond to a couple of things you mentioned. First of all, Russia, I indicated, is a geopolitical foe. Not a, Number one, excuse me, it's a geopolitical foe. And I said in the same, in the same paragraph, I said, and Iran is the greatest national security threat we face. Russia does continue to battle us in the UN time and time again. I have clear eyes on this. I'm not gonna wear rose colored glasses when it comes to Russia or Mr. Putin. And I'm certainly not gonna say to him, I'll give him more flexibility after the election. After the election, he'll get more backbone. That's right, uh, 2012, that's right, 2012, President Barack Obama laughed off Russia being the greatest geopolitical threat, laughed off and and tried being a funny man talking about the 1980s called and want their foreign policy back. And look where we are now. But Obama can't be wrong. We can't criticize President Obama for that. Can we? And I guess we can't say Mitt Romney was mm, a little bit right. I guess we can't. It's just really funny because right now we have a lot of former Vice President Joe Biden in the news. You know, Joe Biden's in the news a lot. Okay, just a couple of days ago, this coming from the Washington Post, quoted saying at the Salt Hedge Fund Conference in Las Vegas, quote, I never thought she was a great candidate. I thought I was a great candidate. Hillary would have been a really good president. But I never thought she was a great candidate. Or how about Bernie Sanders throwing on top? It wasn't that Donald Trump won the election. It was that the Democratic Party lost the election. Or we could take Joe Biden's recent comments at Colby College graduation stating, quote, It's time for America to get up. It's time to regain our sense of unity and purpose. It's time for us to restart realizing who in God's name we are. This past election cycle churned up some of the ugliest realities in our country. Civilized discourse and real debate gave way to the course set to the coarsest course set well the coarsest rhetoric and stoking of our darkest emotions i assure you it's temporary i assure you it's transistory the american people will not sustain this attitude life can't can't be lived in a self-referential, self-reinforcing, self-righteous echo chamber we build for ourselves online. Living on screens encourages shallow and antiseptic relationships that make it easy to reduce others to stereotypes to write another human being off as a bad person. Joe Biden, according to this 
Hill article now. I've d- I've dived in between three different things. This article from the Hill posted today states Joe Biden has been out of office for four months, but the former vice president hasn't left the public eye. Instead, Biden has kept a robust schedule that fuels speculation about 2020 presidential run. Some Democrats looking to bounce back from 2016 defeats are still looking to Biden to reorient their messaging in a way that could win back the working class voters who fled the party to vote for President Donald Trump. Biden, who passed on running for president last year after a lengthy period of indecision, has promised to remain involved in rebuilding the party. When it comes to a White House bid in 2020, though, he has sent mixed signals, noting that he is currently has no plans to mount a campaign. And Biden's age, he'll be 78 by Inauguration Day in 2021, would make him by far the oldest person ever. Still, Biden's recent schedule of events and appearances suggest he hasn't entirely ruled out another bid. Biden has attended a hedge fund conference in Las Vegas and a fundraiser for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. His jam-packed calendar also includes upcoming speeches at the Florida Democratic Party and at a few college commencements. Biden will also receive an award at the Democratic National Committee's LGBT Gala next month. But the appearance that drew the loudest buzz was Biden's speech last month at a state party dinner in New Hampshire, a critical early state in the presidential primary circuit. During his speech, Biden sought to tamp down 2020 rumors. Quote, when I got asked to speak, I knew it was going to cause speculation, Biden said to applause, only to add, guys, I'm not running. This is contradictory to a bunch of other statements and sound bites that we could pull up and go through, but we're not going to at this time. Biden is quickly becoming a figurehead for the Democratic Party. Whether or not he would be a 2020 candidate is hard to say because there's two ways the Democratic Party goes. One, they allow their people to start selecting their candidates and push forward and allow those people to push forward those candidates. Okay? That's number one, and we've gone long and far about superdelegates and and the the shortcomings of the Democratic Party. Joe Biden highlighted them actually excellently. I can't believe I'm saying that of old Joe Biden. He talked very, very poignantly on how working-class white voters got driven away from Hillary Clinton, feeling left in the dust so to speak. So there's that. There's also the Democratic Party that could try to polish and groom Joe Biden to be the man. Now, whether or not the Democratic voters would take that, that's a different story. That seems more, he seems more of a status quo, more guaranteed to win rather than be a fringe guy. Whether that's good for the Democratic Party or not, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's good for us libertarian-type folk or us conservative-type folk because things get built up and are slippery slopes in a slow method. But certainly Joe Biden isn't some progressive, out-there candidate. He's more of a standard option. And whether or not the Democratic Party would go with that, I don't know. 
Now let's switch focus onto Donald Trump. Taking his world tour, he stopped off at Saudi Arabia, our good, trustworthy ally, Saudi Arabia. And he had this to say. Now, I was going to play audio, but my computer, of course, in its old age, is starting to act up. So I'll just start. I'll just read some of the stuff that he says. So, this is from a New York Times article. Addressing dozens of leaders from across the Muslim world who had gathered in Saudi Arabia, Mr. Trump rejected the idea that the fight against terrorism was a struggle between religions, and he promised not to scold them about human rights in their countries. But he challenged Muslim leaders to step up their efforts to counter a, quote, wicked ideology and purge the, quote, foot soldiers of evils from their societies. Direct quotes from Trump now, quote, This is not a battle between different faiths, different sects, or different civilizations. This is a battle between barbaric criminals who seek to obliterate human life and decent people, all in the name of religion, people that want to protect life and want to protect their religion. This is a battle between good and evil. One of the key contrasting differences between Donald Trump at this visit to Saudi Arabia and his campaigns all the way up until now here in America is that he did not say his buzz phrase, radical Islamic terrorism. Instead, Donald Trump, at this visit to Saudi Arabia, referred to Islam as one of the great religions of peace in the world. And further, instead of using his radical Islamic terrorism, said the phrase, Islamist extremism. According to the New York Times article here, Islamic extremism is often used to define to mean someone who advocates Islamic fundamentalism, somebody who's on the fringe of the base of Islam. Donald Trump's direct quote, quote, That means honestly confronting the crisis of Islamic extremism and the Islamists and Islamic terror of all kinds. The <laughs> This is the funny bit. The aides have said that he's just an exhausted guy. That's why he didn't say Islamic... That's why I didn't say radical Islamic terrorism. Or is it that Saudi Arabia is our frenemy and as to not to offend them entirely? He decided not to say radical Islamic terrorism and in fact was stressed not to say it. That is what you will. I still think that we have this very, very touchy, questionable relationship with Saudi Arabia. And it's really baffling to me that we that, that we continue. I mean, obviously, it, it, if it's not obvious why we don't, I mean, or why we do, I would I would tell you to open your eyes and just casually glance at it and you'll figure it out. Regardless, and on top of all that, Trump is now one of the first president, well, first sitting presidents to visit the Western Wall in Jerusalem. So he's in uh, Israel today. He kicked off his whole trip, though, in Saudi Arabia with the Muslim world. I don't know what I don't know what that should tell everybody who was voting for him. 
to be the strong man combating Islamic terrorism. I'm not I'm not sold on that. I'm not sold on that in the slightest. Not when you're shaking hands with Saudi Arabia, who is the country of origin that we have for the 9-11 attacks. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I was going to dive into more of this Russian investigation, but I will tell you this. It was just reported that former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn will be invoking his Fifth Amendment protection and not comply with the Senate Intelligence Committee subpoena. That means that, mind you, Flynn previously offered to testify before the Senate and the House Intelligence Committees in exchange for immunity, but neither committee would accept the offer. So, Flynn says that he's not cooperating. Or rather, Flynn is getting ready to invoke his Fifth Amendment rights in the upcoming hearings against Russia, which throws another wrench in that in that world. But it's a little crazy, right? That's going to do it for me this week. So, guys, thanks for listening. Remember to like, share, and comment on this. Visit my blog at fritzcast.wordpress.com. Catch up on that. And as always, I love you and I'll see you next week.